0: Well, good morning, morning. welcome to LifePoint Church. My name is Adam Purcell, I'm the teaching pastor here. We are really glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning, whether it's your first time or you've been here lots and lots of times, or maybe some of you, you've been here lots of times but not so much over the last three or four months and so if you're a college student we want to say a special welcome to you we are truly glad that you're here with us this morning we're in the last week of a series that we've been calling dumb tax where we're looking through the book of Judges and uh, I I want to mention uh, certainly we hope you come back next Sunday we're gonna begin a series where we're gonna spend uh, several weeks in the fall looking at Hebrews chapter 11 and so I'm pretty excited about what the Lord has for us next week as well but but our big idea for this series is that God is faithful Even when we are not so that'll be the first thing in your listening guide or your app notes if you want to take notes along the way that God is faithful Even when we are not and I said last week This is really great news for you and I because the the reality that I face and I think it's the same reality that you also face is I, I want to be faithful and I'm assuming that you probably to some degree or another maybe it's a lot Maybe it's medium or a little but, but no one wants to think of themselves as a bad person. And so part of what that means for us is we look at our relationships and the words that we say and kind of the promises that we make, and, and we want to be faithful. We want to be a faithful friend, a faithful spouse, a faithful teammate and roommate. We want to be faithful, and we try really hard to do that. And yet sometimes we find, we look back on something we said or even maybe thought or did, and we realize, man, I, I wasn't faithful in that moment we all struggle with this reality that sometimes I am not faithful and sometimes you are not faithful. The great news that we see in God's word, and especially through Jesus Christ, is that God is faithful even when we are not. He is not like us in that regard. He is faithful even when we are not, and that is incredible news for us. And so today what we're going to do, we're going to finish our series in Judges. We're going to read the very last verse in Judges, and then uh, look in Judges 14 and and look at a little bit of Samson's life. And so if you you grew up in church and Sunday school, you probably know a little bit about Samson, so that's kind of the person we're going to be looking at in Judges. But before we do that, let's take a moment and pray and invite God to help us as we study his word together. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift and privilege of being here together this morning. Uh, Father, to, to worship your son Jesus because he's worthy. He's worthy, uh, he's worthy of, of more than we could ever give to him in terms of our worship, but we're, we're so grateful for the privilege of being here together. Father, as we open your word, God, I, I confess that, that I need your help to, to teach it well, and, and Father, I also confess on our behalf that, that we need your help, because God, our, our desire is to, to love and trust your son Jesus more because we were here. Father, our desire is to end up becoming more like Jesus because we were here, and, and Father, that's, that's not something we can do on our own. God, we need your help. And so, Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, help us this morning, help everyone here to experience the goodness of your presence and to love your son, Jesus, more. And Father, specifically, we ask for those who are here who, uh, God, they're not yet new, they don't yet trust your son, Jesus, for salvation. God, we, we know that you're glad that they are here, and, and Father, we are too. And so, Father, we ask uh, that you would speak to them powerfully this morning so that they would know and experience the love of Christ. We pray all of these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So Judges 21-25 uh, is the very last verse in Judges, and it's really kind of the summary of, of the entire book. And so the book of Judges, which if you've read it, it's pretty dark. Like, I would encourage you always, read all of the Bible, read all of it, read Judges, but just know going in, if you're looking for inspiring moral stories, you're not so much gonna get that. You're gonna read some of the narratives and be like, Oh, I didn't know that was in there. Like that was really awful. And and that's what what is meant to, I think to be our experience when we read Judges. And so Judges 21:25 says, "In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes." And that's kind of the summary of the book of Judges. There was no king and everyone just did whatever they wanted. And we've recorded some stories, this this author is saying, of some of the really messed up stuff that happened during this season, in God's people, Israel, their story. So before we jump into Judges 14, 1 through 3, just a quick recap of some of the things we see in Judges 13 when we're introduced to Samson. So Samson's mom and dad wanted to have kids, had no kids, and then God speaks to them and says, hey, congratulations, exciting news, you're going to have a child. But not only are you going to have a child, which would be exciting enough, but this child he's, he's gonna be special. He's going to deliver my people. And so at this point, the Philistines are the bad guys. They're the ones who are oppressing uh, the Israelites, God's people. And so God says, hey, this, this son that's gonna be born to you, his name's gonna be Samson. Uh, he, he's gonna deliver my people from the Philistines. And God essentially says to them, hey, Samson's gonna be a Nazarite. And so what that, what that means for us is, there were three rules that, that would happen with someone who, typically you would volunteer for this, take a Nazarite vow for a short time. Samson didn't get that choice. God just said before he was born, he's going to be this and he's going to be this until he dies. But a Nazarite, the vow was no alcohol. The vow was no dead bodies. And so you couldn't touch anything that was dead, whether it was a dead animal or or a dead person. You couldn't touch dead things. And then the third rule, which is pretty important for understanding the narrative of Samson, is no haircuts. You're not allowed to get your hair cut to, to kind of keep up with this vow that you had made to... To God, And so let's jump into Judges 14. We're going to read 1 through 3 and then 10 through 20. And so it says, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And again, quick reminder, for our purposes, those are the bad guys. They're the enemies of Israel who have conquered them in a war and are oppressing them. Verse 2, Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw, and again, remember the First in, in Judges, everyone just does what's right in their own eyes. You're going to see that in this text. I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah now get her for me as my wife but his father and mother said to him is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines Philistines but Samson said to his father get her for she is right in my eyes and then we go on in verse 10 of Judges 14 His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, okay, put your riddle. That we may hear it. And so Samson said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. Quick back story so that you know what Samson's getting at. Uh, In travel, uh, we've learned before this that Samson was attacked by a lion, and one of the themes in Samson's life is physically, he's extremely strong. So he just rips this lion apart, right? And then he comes back later, and for some reason, there's honey in this lion's dead body. And again, note, though, he's not supposed to touch dead stuff. Like, he's under a vow to God to not touch dead things. And so Samson disregards this and sees this honey. He's like, oh, that's, that's honey. It's delicious. And so he scoops this honey out of a dead lion's carcass, which, again, for us, pretty weird, right? We're like, just go to Kroger, right? But, but that's, that's, not, that's not their world. Um, and so, so this is the riddle, right? It's, it's, a, it's a lion. Honey came out of a lion's dead body is the, the riddle that he's putting to them. And so three days, they couldn't solve... The riddle, verse 15, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Again, not like central Ohio, right? Like this is, it's a different world, a different time. It's not like now and here. Have you invited us here to impoverish? us? verse 16. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, and I'm not gonna imitate her voice as I imagine it, but if you read it on your own, you could do that. It might be fun. Um, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. Should I tell you? And she wept before him the seven days, which if you're on a honeymoon, kind of a bummer, right? And so (laughs) she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her, because she pressed him so hard. And then she told the riddle to her people, which is understandable. They're going to burn her house down, right? I mean, like, that's, that's, okay, that's fair. Verse 18, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And Samson says something that we're all gonna probably find offensive, but he responds, and he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Again, husbands, don't ever say that, right? <laughs> so it's, it's not one of those Bible verses you wanna to quote to your wife, it's just not, it's good. Uh, again. No king. Everyone does what they think is right, right? Verse 19, And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Verse 20, pretty sad verse. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. And... So, so you, see, you see really all the themes you need to know about Samson and his life to understand what, what's going to happen next. And the thing I, that I found so fascinating this week as I was reading some commentary and studying this well, One of the commentators pointed out that, that when, when these Philistines, Philistines who were coming to Samson's wedding party, the 30, the 30 people, when they respond to, to Samson's riddle, they actually respond with kind of a riddle that in some ways is the solution to the rest of Samson's narrative. I don't know if you remember what they said to Samson, but they said, hey, Samson, what is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion? What, what would be that thing, and and they're they're really just answering the riddle, but the commentator pointed out that in some ways, that's the solution to Samson's narrative, because if Samson were to answer that question, hey Samson, what for you is sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion, he would say, if he were being honest with us, he would say, my love of women to me is sweeter than honey and it's stronger than a lion. And the Bible has a word for that. It's called idol. And so I, I want us to, to think a minute for, for our, just our own hearts. What would that be for you? Like if you and I could, could sit down and, and talk for a minute, and, and I probably wouldn't ask you this way because it'd be weird. But since we're tying it to Samson's narrative, maybe I say to you, hey, for you, what's, what's sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion for for you in in your life and there's i mean we could make lists right but for some of us it's money right money is that thing that if we were being honest it's always tempting us to it's sweet to us it satisfies us we like it we like having a lot of money we like making money we're good at making money and so that's that's our thing but it's also powerful to us it kind of holds captive our our hearts for some of us it's money very related to to money is power obviously money is one way to to get power for for yourself so maybe Maybe for you it's money, maybe it's power, maybe it's kind of comfort or safety, just that, that idea that I I feel safe and secure, I don't take a lot of risks because because for me that thing that's sweeter than honey and stronger than that a lion is is comfort and safety. For a lot of us, we're like Samson, it's romantic love. If, if you were being honest, you would say, yeah, for me, yeah. Um, a boy or a, or a girl, you know, someone who can, like they're my person, right? Like I found a person and they think I'm their person and and we, like, we're romantically together, and for some of you, that's, that's the thing for you. That's, it's sweeter than honey, and it's stronger than a lion. You would, you, when you read Samson's narrative, he, he's often disregarding God. It's driving him away, honestly, from his own God and his own people, this, this desire to be romantically engaged with, with women. Uh, for some of us, it's just friends. And again, I, I wanna point out, none of these things are bad things. But, but when they become the thing that is an idol in your heart, the thing that is tr- sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion to your heart, then it becomes an idol and then it becomes something that is destructive to, to you. And so, so for some of us, it, it's friends. And, and here I want to just make a quick side note. Uh, for those of you who are here today and you're a first year at MVNU, Kenyon, CUTC, like you're, you're, a, you're a first year in, in a college experience. I wanna just point out to you, and you probably already felt this because, you know, Kenny and you guys have been here for a little over a week, and V and you, you've not been here quite that long, but when you come to college, one of the wonderful things about that experience is you get to kind of reinvent yourself. And for a lot of you, that's exactly what you're wanting. You didn't necessarily love who you were in high school. You didn't love who people thought you were in high school. And so you left that space and you're in this brand new space. And I remember distinctly, I, I grew up in Mount Vernon and there was a, a sense that I had that uh, basically I knew everybody and everyone knew me. That's one of the things that kind of happens in a small town. And I remember getting to Ashland University, go Eagles, right? And, and I realized there were four people from my graduating class and then me that were freshmen at Ashland. And I realized very quickly, as I'm walking through campus, But it was great, but I realized, no one knows me. I'm walking by all these people, and they all look similar to me, like they're, they're all you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, they're all my age, so they all chose AU, and I don't know any of them. And it was a little bit disorienting. And, and so what I did, and I didn't know I was doing it, so I'm, I'm trying to help you out, is, is I realized, oh, I, I have an opportunity here, but it also kind of feels like a crushing obligation as well because you have, in some ways, this infinite range of possibilities for who you could be. And in some ways, that's kind of crushing. Like, it's a little bit overwhelming. And so I I just want to point out to you that you're probably doing this, and you're partly asking the question, who am I? And part of your answer to that is, "Who, who are my people? Right? Like, here at Kenyon, here at MVNU who are my people, and whoever your people end up being, whether you know it or not, are part of how you're answering that question, who am I in this kind of process of reinventing myself, so to speak. And so I just want to caution you, I guess, that even if friends weren't a um, sweeter than honey, stronger than a lion thing for you before college, you might go through a season where it is. And, and be, be careful about that. And, and I wish I could tell you that after the first three weeks and you've made your friends, it'll go away. But as I was reflecting on this, even this morning, I realized those of us old people, and by old, I mean older than 21, uh, those of us old people in the room, we often still struggle with the same thing. We just don't do it the same way. We're not like playing a sport or achieving academically to do it. We often do it through our kids, right? Through our house, through our car, through our kids. It's often how we kind of play that game and get the right friends to like us so that we feel good about us because the right people like me. And if the right people like me, then obviously I'm fine is how that often goes in your heart. And so just be aware of that. That might be, that might be your... Um, thing And the last one I'll mention, and there are others and I'm not going to give an exhaustive list, is just that kind of success and achievement and admiration, like whatever, whatever you want to call that, but that, right? Like that, that thing where the thing that's sweeter than honey for you and stronger than a lion for you, the thing you have to have to feel like okay is, is some version of success or achievement or people like seeing your success and achievement. But here's the really important thing for us this morning, no matter what you would say to that answer, and it'll probably change as you go through seasons of life. I don't know what it is for you today, but I know that God can be and should be that thing for you and for I. God is the great God who displaces the idols in our hearts by his spirit. And so the way we'll say that is, first, God is sweet enough to satisfy. And so, so I want to read a couple of Psalms to you, and so, so Psalm 84, verses one and two, which will not be on your screens, I'd love for you to go look it up sometime. Psalm 84, one and two. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And, and a quick, quick side note, and so, so I very much believe that every word in the Bible is literally the word of God. Like God has spoken to us through God's word because I believe that sometimes I, when I'm not paying attention to my thinking, I think that this just like dropped out of the sky, right? And that's not how it happened. There was a person or a small community of people some point in the past who wrote Psalm 84. What do you think a person would need to experience to say the things they just said? How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul, it longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. To be in the presence of God is better than anything else. Later in this same psalm, you see, and they made a song out of it, but better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. What would cause a person to say something like that? And the answer is, God is sweet enough to satisfy. Psalm 63. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. And again, Yes, completely God's word, every word. But someone was moved to write this. It says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's like I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. Right, so, so what would someone have to experience to then say that later, to write it down, to be on the lips of God's people forever? What did that person probably experience? Probably more than once. And he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied like with fat and rich Food. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, my soul finds satisfaction in God, and that satisfaction is kind of like when you eat really good food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and medip- meditate on you in the watches of the night. Have you ever binged something on Netflix? That's rhetorical. I know the answer is yes. So. <laughs> Do you see what he's saying here? So what happens with, with Netflix or whatever, whatever things you view, sometimes you've got something really important the next day and you're like, I got to go to bed by midnight. And then it's like 11.47 and that episode ends and you're like, Ah, we could do one more. You know? And so, so you, you, you stay up later than you intended on doing. And sometimes, if, especially if you're a college student, I'm assuming I can't do this anymore, like 10 p.m., I'm out. Right? But, but you, you stay up all night and you regret it the next day. But it was also, there was, there was a, a satisfaction about the experience of binging that show, whatever it was, that caused you to stay awake through the night. And the psalmist is saying that God to him is so satisfying that sometimes he does that. He's like binging on prayer and praise through the middle of the night, if I can say it that way, right? Like what would he have had to experience to write that? Verse seven. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. The last Psalm we'll read, and then we'll talk a little bit about, about all of this. Psalm 34, verse 8. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you see the invitation he's giving to us? He's like, hey, the Lord is really good. You just gotta try it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is is the man who takes refuge in him. So, really important question. So, God is sweet enough to satisfy, and we're invited by God's word in Psalm thirty-four, eight, to taste and to see that He is good. How do you do that? Like, how do you how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? And, and so, here is where I want to remind you that that first, the prerequisite is you trust Jesus. You, you trust Jesus with your life. And when you belong to Jesus, in Him, we are His. We belong to God. God adopts us as His beloved children, and as His, we have this amazing privilege to come with confidence into His presence. Every single day, you and I, in Christ, have the privilege to come with confidence into His presence. And the confidence is not our own. I don't look at my prior day's behavior and think, oh. I could probably confidently enter God's presence tomorrow. No, I look at Christ, because I'm in, I'm in Christ, and through Christ and his shed blood and his resurrection, which we just, just spent time talking about, through Christ, I can come with confidence into God's presence, which is what the psalmists were celebrating and singing about. And so how do, we, how do we do that? And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but this is a great place to start. The first thing I will say is you spend time daily in God's word and in prayer. You spend time daily in God's word and prayer. And when you're doing that, you're not simply reading a book, you're doing an activity where you come with confidence into God's presence. And so, so I don't know where you are in terms of your habits, in terms of spending time in God's word and in prayer. But, but my encouragement to you would be whatever you're at right now, just add five minutes. And you would say, man, I'm already at this blank amount of time and it's a really good rhythm for me. Uh, okay, stay, stay there. But if you're at zero, maybe for me challenging you to do sixty minutes a day, that's probably not realistic. Sixty minutes a day would be great. And again, I'm not saying go do this awful thing that's the worst for 60 minutes a day. I'm saying come with confidence into God's presence because He satisfies. He's sweet enough to satisfy. But if you're at zero right now, my, my challenge to you would be: just add five minutes. Everyone's got five minutes a day. And you and I live in this amazing time where if you're not a strong reader, there are free apps, YouVersion is one of my favorites, Y-O-U, version, free app, it will read the Bible to you. And so you know, sometimes I'll just go on a run and I'll just press play on the Gospel of John and then an hour later, I've read the entire Gospel of John and also got my workout in. It's fantastic, right? And so there are things like that that you can do to make sure that you're coming with confidence into God's presence, spending time in his word and, and in prayer. The second thing that I'll, that I'll say is an example of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is sing to Jesus. So part of that is weekly. Come here weekly and sing to Jesus with friends. But also I would encourage you by yourself, maybe maybe some of you will feel comfortable, like someone grabs an acoustic guitar and you like sit in a circle in your dorm room or your house, that, that's great, like that's, that's awesome. Something my family and I have started doing is basically that, we'll grab a guitar and sit in this little room in our house and we'll sing Usually, it's holy, holy, holy and amazing grace, and we'll just sing those two songs together, and you know, 10 minutes later, we're, we're done, but we've invested some time in our own hearts and in our children's hearts, right? But sing to Jesus. Uh, however you get your music, leverage that, right? I mean, most of us have access to every song ever on like every minute of every day, right? And so, I don't necessarily love singing where other people can hear me sing, So right? So, you know, time in the car, when I run if I'm not too out of breath, right? Um, people run on the bike I'm like, oh, I gotta stop singing while well, they would go by, and then i sing again, you know? So so whatever it is, but sing to Jesus. H- have a habit of singing to Jesus, which is part of how we, we taste and see that God is good. Uh, third one, do what he says, even when it's hard. If you're asking, how do I taste and see that the Lord is good, it isn't just things by yourself, like reading a book and talking to Jesus when you're alone in your room. It is that, but it isn't just that. Do, do what he says, even when it's hard. And you might even say especially when it's hard. And the last thing I'll say for this is, just remember, in Christ, yes, I am God's adopted son. You all, in Christ, if you've trusted Christ, are God's adopted sons and daughters, which makes us family. And so just remember that you and I have this tendency to forget that God is really satisfying. And we neglect that time in the word and that time in prayer and doing what he says. And so I, I want to encourage you, be in a life group. Like ha- have some people who are your people, right? Like the, the way we're, we're saying it now is because we are family, we take the time to know and encourage each other. I need other believers who know me and can encourage me because I am prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave this God That I love, I'm prone to go a day or a week or a month or a year without getting into God's word. I'm prone to go a day or a week or a month or a year without without meaningfully serving others or sharing the gospel. I'm I'm prone to do those things. And so, how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? It's, It's any and all of those things, but God, He is sweet enough to satisfy. Do you have stories? of satisfaction? Do you have stories that you could point to and say, yeah, I remember this one time. I, I know I've trusted Christ, and there's this, there's this moment I could point to where God was just, he was just really satisfying. I don't know that I would have said it that way, but God was really, really satisfying. I want you to have stories. And I don't know if you have any yet. If you trust Christ, I would say you do. And if you don't have any stories of any time where you found God satisfying, I don't know that you know him. But regardless of where you would fall on that, I want us to have stories. Like if we could meet in a year, don't you want more stories of times when you found God so incredibly satisfying. So I wanna, I wanna tell you just a, a couple of my, my stories. I've got, you know, more than I could tell. So, so the first is actually um, my, my story of becoming a Christian. So I went to college thinking I was a Christian because I had amazing parents who loved Jesus. I read the Bible, I prayed, I went to church. You know, I, I was a pretty good kid. And so I I go to Ashland University, and like I said moments ago, I was challenged with that reality that I have to kinda, you know, I'm becoming an adult and I have to kinda reinvent myself, so to speak. And so probably around sophomore year, I remember thinking about God, or at least what I thought I had been taught about God by the kind of religious tradition that I grew up in. I don't think this was on purpose, but this is what I thought. I thought that the system that God had set up was, you ask God for forgiveness, and if you die, you go to heaven. But if you sin, and then you die, you go to hell, period. And so it was really important to pray every time you sinned because that was how it worked. And so I was reflecting on that, and I'm like, that's like this cosmic system of, like, Russian roulette. Like, what if I, I always imagined my, my imagined scenario was I'm driving down the road, and as far as I know, I hadn't sinned, and so the, the, prayer, the last prayer had worked, and then I see that I'm about to die. I like can't on collision with a semi, boom, I'm out. And I, like, say a bad word right as I, like, am about to hit the pearly gates, I'm like, I go to hell. Like, it's just random luck is what I, what I thought it was. And so in my super rationalist, I thought I was so smart. You know, I'm 19, 20 years old. Um, and all of you who are 19, and 20 are, are smart. I just wasn't. Um, so, so, so I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking, that's a stupid system. Like, whoever set that up is stupid. And then I realized I was talking about God. And so the next thought was, there's no way God is that stupid. Next thought, I guess there's probably just not a God. Because I, I was sure that that was the system that I was, that I was told, that's how I, 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 and I wasn't probably ever told that. That's what I thought. Oh, I guess there's just no God. And it what didn't feel like a big deal, so in that moment, I became an atheist. And this was before atheism was like a thing and you're like militant about it, like I wasn't that, right? Just, you know, if you asked me, Adam, is there a God? I would have said, no. Are you mad about that? Why would I be mad about that? He's not there. Why would I be angry at something that's not there? Like that was kind of my, my mentality towards that. And I, I hid that well from my parents because I love them and I wanted to uh, continue to love me and I didn't want to upset them. And so I remember facing graduation. This is uh, spring of 2001. I was a math major. I was going, the plan at the time was get a PhD in math, uh, go be a college <laughs> professor. That was game plan for life. And so um, I'm facing graduation and for some reason I feel like this makes me an adult. I have to like, like Tell my parents that I'm an atheist and that Jesus is stupid and I'm never going to church with them again. That was, like, that was the game plan. And I intuit, rightly I think, that that was gonna be a disappointing conversation for them. And so in my hubris, I thought, oh, well, I'm super smart and educated now. I'll just do a research project before I have this difficult conversation with my mom and dad. And God leveraged my pride against me. In half a second, I decided that I would read the entire Bible. Um, before this conversation with my parents. I don't know why I thought that, I was just like, research project, that's what smart people do, I'm educated now. And so, June of 2001, I opened up in Genesis. And it was just, I'm gonna read this book, I'm, I'm sure it's stupid, but once I'm done reading this stupid book, I can tell my parents, hey, I'm never going to church with you again. And then I imagine them saying, oh, but Adam, and I can say, I read the book, it's dumb. That's what I thought was going to happen. So I go to Miami, Ohio, I'm uh, taking graduate work in math, because that's awesome, um, and I'm reading this dumb book. I would go to, go to class, teach a class, eventually get home, do some homework, and open up this, this book. And for the first time in my life, I experienced <laughs> the presence of God. I'm a science person. I'm an atheist. I don't think there is such a thing as a God. And I just remember thinking, okay, something is happening, and there's a correlation between that something happening and me opening this stupid book. We'll see. We'll see. And God, in his goodness, just wore me down with his presence that, that fall. Wake up go to class, teach a class, do some homework, open the book, and experience the presence of God. And I remember being convinced, this was around like December of 2001, when I would say I kind of crossed that line. I remember being convinced Jesus is God and I have to give myself to him. I I wouldn't even have said that I believed that. I would have said, I know that. Like I know that Jesus is God and I have to give myself to him. And I remember thinking distinctly, all the things that I like doing, I don't think I'm allowed to do those things anymore. (laughs) Christianity is gonna be the most boring thing in the world. It's gonna be the worst. Like that's (laughs) legit what I thought. I thought I was signing up for a lifetime of boredom. But God is sweet enough to satisfy. And I remember that for like the next nine months, I was not normal. Like I couldn't talk to you unless it was about Jesus. Like I just had this joy that I, I just never had experienced before and it was, it was out of control. Like it was, it was insane. And it was the first time in my life that I, that I found out that God, he's sweet enough to satisfy. It wasn't, I wasn't signing up for a lifetime of boredom in my conviction that Jesus was God and I have to give myself to him. I was signing up for a lifetime of finding satisfaction in Christ and growing in my capacity to experience that satisfaction in him. I'll give you two more. They're both way shorter than that when I was a college pastor down at Life Point at our Lewis Center campus I'd administrate Ohio Wesleyan and have you ever struggled with sin? I'm a pastor so obviously I don't but maybe you have. <laughs> it's just jokes. Um, and I remember I was on Lazelle Road driving from Molly and I's apartment towards 23 North to go to Ohio Wesleyan and it was dark. And I was just lamenting my sinfulness. And I remember... In that moment, I felt like God gave me a question that I asked back to him, and I said to God, God, can you use a sinner like me? And because I'm a student of the word, I knew the answer. But it wasn't just knowing the answer. I mean, this is, I mean, this is like 2007 that I'm talking about. And I remember the joy and the peace that I felt in that moment driving in the dark on the Zell, And it happened just, I mean, we're talking like three minutes of my life. But it's a story that that I've got. And and one, if you were here two weeks ago, you already know this story, but it's so random, and I wanna make sure you know, it doesn't have to be a mountaintop experience, but so lately, God has reminded me, in Christ, I'm a servant. Because I'm a servant, I use my time, talent, and treasure for the kingdom, which includes doing dishes more than I would usually do. But I'm not doing dishes just to do the the dishes. I'm doing it because I love Jesus. And it's not like every time I do the dishes, the heavens open, and I'm like, oh, this is so great. But sometimes, that's kind of what happens. I'm doing the dishes, and there's honestly probably some Jesus music on in the background. And I'm reminded that God is sweet enough to satisfy. Do you have stories? I want you to have stories. But God isn't simply sweet enough to satisfy, he's also strong enough to save. Uh, so at the end of Samson's story, it's tragic, he eventually tells Delilah his love that if she cuts his hair, he could be captured. And if you remember the Nazarite vow, no hair cutting. And that was was it, right? And so there's this one of the saddest verses in the Bible. Samson tells Delilah the truth. He goes out to fight these Philistines thinking that he's gonna defeat them again. And it's like this little game that he's been playing. And the text says, but Samson did not know that the Lord had left him. And so he goes out thinking, I'm going to win. He loses. He gets captured. They gouge out his eyes. They make him grind at a millstone, which if you don't know and you probably don't, what that means is there's four spokes uh, and they're, they're grinding grain, right? And so it's him and three donkeys and he's blind. And so he's chained to this post and he's just walking in a circle to close out his life. And if you can do the math on that, if you're walking in a circle blind behind three donkeys, I mean, you're, you're spending your days walking in a circle through poop. That's Samson's life. Because the thing that was sweeter than honey and stronger than a lion to him was this love of women, and it drove him away from his God and his people. And the end of Samson's story, they're they having this big celebration in their temple to this other God, which isn't really a God, and they say, oh, hey, remember Samson? He was the worst. Let's bring him out and make fun of him. And so that's what's happening. And so but what has happened, too, is Samson's hair has started to grow back out, and He's just being made, made fun of at this huge party, thousands of people um, celebrating this, this false god. And the guy who's kind of guiding him around, Samson says, hey, man, I just need to rest. Can you just show me where the, the pillars are, the support, this whole temple complex? Can you just show me where they are? And I can rest on them. And the guy's like, sure, whatever. And so he does that. And Samson cries out to God and says, God, one more time, give me strength. So Sam, Samson pushes these pillars out, and the temple complex falls, and the text says that he killed more of Israel's enemies in that day, in his death, than he did in his entire life. And the text is basically telling us that Samson is the judge, that's, that's the name for those heroes, who died to kill his enemies. And that makes me think of Jesus. In those days in Israel, there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And we have been waiting for not just any king, but a good king. Samson's the judge who died to kill his enemies. Jesus is the king who died to save his enemies, which is you and I. And if you don't know the story, God in his love for the world sent his son Jesus, the eternal son of God, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was arrested, tortured, executed on a cross. His shed blood pays the penalty for our sin. And on the third day, he rose again, and he invites everybody everywhere to trust him. You and I are born as God's enemies, and God loves his enemies so much that he doesn't die to kill us, but rather he died to save us. Zephaniah 3:14 through17, says, "Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion." Zion, being another word for Jerusalem, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. This is Zephaniah 317, a great verse to go. Think on, meditate on, memorize sometime perhaps. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. God is powerful enough to save. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing. God is sweet enough to satisfy and he is strong enough to save. And those of us who are in Christ, he sings over you with joy. The Lord is in our midst. So let's be a people with stories stories of how God is far more satisfying than those things that we thought might have been the key to our happiness and joy. Let's be a people who call on Jesus, knowing that he and he alone is strong enough to save. Let's pray together, please. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of being here together this morning And Father, more than that, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, King of all, who will one day return and make all things new. Father, as we await that day, God, I pray that you would allow us to be a people with stories, stories of your goodness, stories of moments when you allowed us to experience the satisfaction of being in your presence and knowing it. Father, please continue to draw our eyes towards Christ. Father, we we ask that you, again, would reveal yourself powerfully to everyone here. God, for those of us who already know your son Jesus, God, remind us of stories, times when you have satisfied us with your goodness. And Father, for those who have not yet called upon your son's name for salvation, Father, we ask that they would, we ask that they would do it today. And God, that you would flood their hearts and their minds with the joy of your presence and your spirit so that they might know you. Father, we love you. Thank you for singing over your people. God, please receive our praise as we sing back to you. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name.